Let's go! Welcome to another episode of the Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I am your co-host, Danny Heath with Project Hockey, and with me as usual is... Pete Kamen of Elevated Hockey, and I'm pumped to be back. This is our first episode back. It took a couple months off after our first extended season, and this is the first yeah. episode of season two. Fired up to be back with Danny and Vinny and all of our guests that we got lined up here uh getting the getting the, the podcast back online love it man i'm, I'm excited yeah, getting to be back I know. yeah i was actually um we we did a ton of episodes for our first season uh, i was fired up about it and then we took some time off and i was like man that was a lot of work uh <laughs> and like you, you wouldn't think it is but like scheduling and i don't even want to pretend to to know what what producer Vinny does because he just crushes it um but then i was like at the rink and this was two days ago and this guy he walks up to me he's like heater awesome awesome job on the podcast it's like what he's like i just finally finished all of them and i was like no way he's like yeah i was going through all of them and i, I finally got them all done and he's like it you have no idea how how much it's helped me and this was like uh he's a peewee b coach um just a, a father trying to help his kid out and it, it was really cool to hear that and so um yeah that 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 sparked me and pumped to have on our guest which was ryan carter um, National Hockey League player, uh, predominantly uh, well, his, his claim to fame is with the Ducks, right? Stanley Cup. Uh, also played with the Wild and a few other teams. Um, but most importantly, he played at Minnesota State University, uh, the Mavericks' greatest uh, greatest college in the world. I keep saying, and, and I'll take that uh, take that to my grave. But um, one of my favorite things that he spoke about uh, before I, I toss it to you, Cameron, is, is just the idea of the NHL draft and like how he kind of used that in the nine lives with the kitty cat stuff. And it was, it was awesome. And so stay tuned for that piece of the episode, but what are you most excited about? Yeah, that was pretty cool. His perspective on that was, was unique. I hadn't heard it that way before, but it, it, it makes sense that what you'll hear it when you listen to the episode, but it makes sense what he's talking about. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of really good ones in this episode. I think this is a great first episode back for us. We got a guy who played nearly 500 games in the NHL uh, and is still involved in the game today. And, and I think that, you know, the advice that he gave both the players and coaches, I'll say both of them, the, the advice he gave at the end for the players, I, th I think was top notch. And, and I think that the players he gave, the advice he gave to the coaches after that was a little, little bit of the X's and O's of like, here's some things that you should be working on with your players to make them better hockey players overall. I think it's, it's awesome because with the players, he touched on some mental stuff. You know, with the coaches, he touched on some like, here's how you build better hockey players. And um and I think it's awesome. And, you know, before that advice, there's some other, some great takeaways too, and, you know, learning from his path and his experience. So overall from, from start to finish, I, I enjoyed talking with Ryan and, and I think he had a lot of, a lot of great experience to share. Absolutely. He's uh, he's one of the best um, and helping out with hockey day in Mankato, which uh, hockey day in Minnesota, which is in Mankato uh, just kind of, it's a perfect storm right now. And so pump for the, the first, the first one back, uh, Please hit that like button, cross check that like button, subscribe, do all the things. Uh, make sure you go check out Hockey Wolf, one of our sponsors. They, I cannot tell you how phenomenal they've been to work with. I just got this whole array. Uh, cameras smiling because I always got to text them for the contact with them. But um, the the I got hockey pucks with logos on it, um, and so it's uh, Project it, Hockey or Game Seven. Both, both, one on both. each side. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was a combo. Um, and so a huge shout out to hockey wolf, go and check them out. They, 
I'm, I'm under the impression they do everything, but uh, Kamer, if you maybe want to chat a little bit about them and then we'll, we'll kick it to kick it to the interview. Yeah. The guy's a hockey wolf for the best. I mean, they've, they've been a big supporter of elevated hockey for years. They, they came on board right away as uh, sponsors and supporters of our podcast, but you know, they have a couple brick and mortar buildings in one in Missoula, Montana, and a couple out in the Seattle uh, suburban Seattle area, especially with the Kraken going in there, they're, they're growing. I have a feeling they're going to open up a few more shops in the Pacific Northwest, but they have a you know, hockeywolf.com, the online retailers. I mean, they can do everything. They specialize in, in custom jerseys and apparel and warmups and bags. And, you know, if you're a, a youth hockey program that needs to, to rethink looking good, come to the rink, they can do it for you. They do custom gloves, custom helmets, anything custom, they, they rock it. Um, and on top of that, they've got some screaming deals on, on all the skates and gloves and sticks and everything like that. So good people doing good things for hockey. So they support us. And I, I, I would love it if people supported them as well. Heck yeah. Love it. Let's uh, let's, what do you say? Let's go. Let's kick this thing to the, to the show. I think so. The band's back together. Let's give it a, let's go to get let's. started. Season two. Ready? Season two. Danny, get us going. Let, let's go. Woo. <laughs> let's do it. A native of White Bear Lake, Minnesota, a finalist for the 2002 Mr. Minnesota Hockey Award, spent two seasons each with Green Bay Gamblers in the United States Hockey League, played his college hockey at the greatest university in the world, Minnesota State University, Mankato. Let's go. And then signing with the Anaheim Ducks as a free agent in 2006, where he joined the Ducks for a 2007 playoff run and won the Stanley Cup. Let's go. Played nearly 500 games in the NHL. For the Ducks, Hurricanes, Devils, and Minnesota Wild, Ryan also represented Team USA in two world championships, winning a bronze in 2013. Currently, the color commentary for the Minnesota Wild. Ryan Carter, welcome to the Let's Go Hockey podcast. How are you doing today? Good, good. I feel like I need to let you catch your breath. That was a long <laughs> intro. <laughs> yeah, this is our first episode back in a while, and I, I was a little rough around the edges there, but I, I had to battle through that. So it was I good. I felt good about it. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, you did a good job of making me feel important because there was uh, there was a lot there. So it, uh, yeah, no, nicely done. So like, uh, career. thanks for having me, fellas. <laughs> well, we're happy to have you on. We, um, yeah, Danny was pretty nervous getting back into this. We've had a couple months off here, getting getting season two rolling, but. Uh, we're happy to have you on here, Ryan. And why don't we why don't we start at the beginning? What what? How did you initially get hooked on hockey, or how did you become a hockey player early on back in Minnesota? Rankrat. In all honesty, it, I, I'm very fortunate. I'm a product of my environment, probably more than anything else. My family, nobody, including my my father, my parents, uncles, grandparents, had ever played hockey. Uh, my folks were from St. Paul, Minnesota, and they kind of settled in the suburbs. They moved to White Bear Lake, and we just so happened to butt backyards with uh, a hockey dad and a guy that had played for the University of Minnesota in the 70s, was the captain there. His name was Robin Larson. He had two boys right around my age, and they put a rink in the backyard along with some of the other neighbors in the hood. And I just, by annoyance to my parents, said, hey, uh, what's that? Well, let's, I want to go out there. I just want to be a part of it. Let's go. Let's go. And eventually they <laughs> said, go. okay. They, my old man tied me some skates. I threw a ball right-handed. This is how much my folks know about hockey. 
he gave me a right-handed stick because I threw a ball right-handed and I played with it the wrong way. He kept hollering at me on the ice. I said, Dad, I don't know what to tell you. So uh, eventually he had to bite the bullet and buy me a, a left-handed stick. Turns out I'm a lefty on the ice. But, um, yeah, so that's really how I got my start is just seeing kids play in the neighborhood on the ice outside, uh, out back, and fell in love with it there. Uh, great neighborhood. And again, probably just a product of the environment. I was in a situation where the older the older neighborhood kids were pretty good. You had to push yourself to to be there to compete and you know earn your spot on the ice. You didn't want to be the last pick, right? So no, <laughs> that's that's kind of where it all happened for me. For sure, yeah, I love that. Before I got before I jump to that question, do you, do you guys think that's a thing? Like, so do you write with your right hand? Me, yeah, yeah, and then so you play hockey lefty. They 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 always say like whatever hand you write with should be on your top. Do you, do you guys take anything into account for that? Like, do you guys think that's a thing? I don't. I don't take it as gospel. I do take it as uh, you know. If I'm if somebody that is totally a novice says, "Well, how should, what should I do?" I do think that I like that scenario. Because yeah. a lot of times in hockey, we're playing single-handed, right? You don't always have two hands on your stick. I like to be able to go into a, a stick battle, you know, with your stick out or, you know, something in that regard. Poke check with my strong dominant hand, and it's the yeah. top hand. So that's probably why I like it more than stick handling, for example. But I like yeah. battling one hand on the stick with my dominant hand than using the non-dominant as, like, the guide hand. Yeah, yeah like I'm that. with you on that. I know I work with a, a hockey company, and I know – like it's, it's kind of interesting because like back when I was growing up, it was always everybody exactly what you talked about, right hand dominant, you shoot left. It's changing like sticks, like companies now, like the big manufacturers, they can like barely get rid of left-handed sticks. Like if you go into closeout sections, they're all left-handed sticks because everybody, especially in non-traditional markets are like changing to like you're right-handed and you shoot right. now. It's kind of like the thing that's switching in the U.S. except for like little pockets like Minnesota and uh, maybe a couple spots in the East Coast. But anyway. Well, it's crazy about that. Like, it's like, I feel like back in the day, a righty, a righty was like a left-handed pitcher, you know, so coveted. If you had a righty on your squad, I mean, even you look at the NHL today too, the, the, the big shot right-handed defenseman is probably like the number three most coveted thing on an NHL club. You got your number one center, your number one D-man, and then that big right shot on the power play seems to be the, the number three thing every, every general manager wants. So that, that big righty shot, it used to be like that left-hand pitcher, like, whoa, there's a righty, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, it looks like it's changing now. I got I got three daughters at play, and the one's a righty. And I, like I said, I've got her labeled as uh, maybe the one that we gotta we gotta put some some investment, <laughs> some yeah. extra lessons, and she's going places, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah, my daughter just she's four. She just started as well. She's a righty. I mean, she but she writes with her left hand as well, so it kind of fits that model. But yeah, I'm just super interested in that and. My, I got a two-year-old son who probably, I don't know, he's got, he doesn't have too much athletic uh, bones in his body yet, but uh, we'll see what uh, hand he turns out. Hopefully the same hand so they can pass down sticks. That's all I'm hoping for. Right. I think, uh, I think the other thing to consider if we're really breaking that down is, is the eye and like what eyes dominant yeah. being the lefty. I think I liked, I think I'm, I'm I, and I don't know actually, but I'm pretty confident I'm right. I dominate. Like if I'm shooting a gun, that's the way it is. So I like that eye as I'm playing as my is the up eye you know i can see more yeah. like, with my periphery and everything versus like my left eye if it was the other way i'd be you know i think i'd just miss a little but that's interesting i've never heard anybody say that before that's a really good point i've never so if you're right if you're if you're right-handed you'd want you'd want to be left hand left eye dominant is that what you're saying 
No, I'm saying if I'm like, let's say I'm right-handed and that's yeah. my dominant side and I'm, I'm, I'm right-eye dominant. I kind of want my stick to be in my right hand because I'm a lefty. That way, like, oh, as I'm it, looking yeah. up, I see with my dominant eye way more. Yeah. Even if I'm looking, if I have to look down, I got my dominant eye, the top eye, not the bottom eye. Yeah. And I just see so much more. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way. I like that. Any edge. <laughs> we need it right now. Especially yeah, a little bit. The U.S. We need it. We need to catch these Canadians. And I think as bad as it sounds, and I don't wish COVID on anyone, but they shut down a lot harder up there than we did. And we're catching up to those Canadians. So. Well, so you uh, think there's a little competitive advantage there. They had some yeah. time away from the break. Well, maybe. <laughs> Hopefully they didn't have like a good winter for the outdoor ice and the kids are just grinding for 12 hours a day. I know that's probably exactly what happened. Let's talk about, so back, back in your early days, youth hockey in Minnesota, did you, did you play any other sports or were you a hockey guy through and through? No. Yep. I was not a, again, it goes back to like my family and and their background. I was a multi-sport athlete. My dad was a football guy, so there's no chance I was, I was playing uh, or I wasn't playing football. So I played football uh, I ran track. I played baseball till I was about 15 or 16. And um, so I, I, I did it all. I probably didn't specialize in hockey till probably my senior year of high school. Yeah. You know, that's the one thing we always talk about on this podcast and, you know, it's a big, that's a big com- like core component of what USA hockey preaches about like the importance of athleticism and uh, being a multi-sport athlete, not just focusing 12 months a year on hockey, you know, for a lot of reasons, but it's always, you know, whether it's injury reduction or, or just, increase athleticism so so someone like yourself i think is important for for players and parents and coaches to hear that that you don't have to just focus on hockey 12 months a year and you know avoid the burnout situation and you know jumping in too 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 heavy too early yeah it's it's amazing and there's good i i think there's good you know cross training sports now lacrosse you know it's it's not the skating motion you're running but the hands are moving at the same time the feet are and you know you can learn all those kind of motor skills while you're playing sport too but it's amazing in the ahl some of these guys from other countries even canada uh and and, you know you get into europe the guys are good with with soccer and their feet and the foot sports and stuff but a lot of them like can't throw a ball or they can't catch they get nervous so they're not i always make this joke too they like I, i think on their tax returns they write professional athlete i said well settle down a little bit you're not an athlete you're a professional <laughs> hockey player because in terms of athleticism you really don't have that much <laughs> yeah i was uh, i was a big in hindsight i'm a big proponent of, of multi-sport athletes and um, i do believe in in overuse injury especially in hockey yeah. you know the skating strides not like your your normal straight line movement so um, to get some cross training in there and some athleticism and balance and all that stuff is, is super valuable well, let's let's jump into you know when you're playing in your high school days, Mr. Hockey finalist. And there you jumped into juniors, playing in the USHL, and then made that jump to to NCAA D1 at Mankato. What you know, if you look back on that time, and when you jumped from those three different, you know, all three very prominent levels at, at you know, given each stage, do you remember any significant like steps that you made or like significant changes while you're making that jump? So like the biggest impression you made between those different levels. I would say it was all mental, and I'll be honest with you guys. I was uh, super green, super green, no advice, no advisor, no plan. All I really ever wanted was to play Division One college hockey, to be a gopher here in Minnesota, right? Like, that's all I ever wanted. And the NHL team had left town, so I felt like the Gophers was the pinnacle. Everybody had always said, 
NHL is like out of reach for, for almost everybody, but so just try to play college hockey. Um, and that's where I was at. Mentally, I kept one lesson in my head all the time. Uh, and it was actually the same guy that put the rink in the backyard. He coached me. I, I didn't make the A team. Uh, I think it was my squirt year. And he's like, hey, bud, don't, don't worry about it. He goes, just be the best player on any team that you're on and just work to be the best player. Because if you're the best player on your team, there's a good chance that you're going to make the next team. Like you'll always keep playing, you know, like just be the best or work to try to be the best wherever you are, whether that's B squirt, A squirt, uh, the junior varsity team, which I made, then the, the varsity team at high school and then your junior team and then your college team to set your goal in that point. And that's mentally, I'd say that's probably what raised the bar for me the fastest was the competition and then realizing, okay, like my goal has been set. I want, I need to be the best on this team. And it happened quickly there, right. From high school to junior to college to pro. And it was just raising that bar mentally setting that goal. Like, okay, how am I going to be the best? And you look around and these guys are good, right. And they, okay, these dudes can skate. I better work on my skating. How am I going to do it? And then, okay, these guys can fire the pill. They can shoot. All right, I better shoot some bucks, you know, and just eventually putting all those little things together and grabbing what you see and analyzing everybody, being real honest with, you know, how you assess other people and yourselves. And for me, that was probably the ticket is holding on to that one thought, thinking just be the best, whatever team, doesn't matter. You'll make the next one or at least have a real good shot. Analyze those guys and find a way to be the best there and then just continue that. You took that advice a step further because I've always heard like, you know, you want to be the best player on whatever team you're on. But then the idea of it is like, well, the reason why is because that's what's going to get you to the next level because you have a chance of playing at the next level. And I, I love the the added value you added to that uh, that piece of information. That's, I mean, something you carried with you. And you, obviously you had that when you went to Minnesota State University, uh, Mankato, uh, where you played two years. And then that was back in the in the WCHA when it was, I mean, that was the real WCHA, right? They always say where it's just the, the grind house and, and not that the WCHA isn't uh, good. Well, now it's the CCHA, but not that the WCHA wasn't as good a few years ago. Um, but back when it was Minnesota, North Dakota, Denver, all those, all those, those teams, it was, uh, it was pretty intense. And so you, you played two years there and then you decide to, to play professionally and sign did, what went into that decision? Was there was there a bunch, or was it just like it's time to go, or how did that work out for you? Yeah, a ton. Uh, a lot went into it, actually. So I think I ended up signing. I'd have to look at the days, but it was probably like July 6th or 7th, and free agency opened. I was undrafted. Free agency opened up the 1st, and Anaheim was there, and I didn't, I didn't want to leave college hockey. I felt it was probably the best spot for me. I was an older freshman, but – wasn't in a hurry to leave. Um, I thought, you know, it, I'd have a chance for it to be, you know, in some regards, my team, right? I'd be, I'd be a leader, wear a letter, see what can happen, and and really see if you can own that. Uh, but July 1, David, I think David Backus, who is my teammate, he ends up leaving. And then Kyle Pito, he ran the power play. He ends up leaving. I think there were some uh, two or three other guys that, that ended up just – um, not coming back for whatever reasons, if it was discipline or schooling or whatever it was. So all of a sudden we're looking at a completely different, different team, right? Going into the next year and as an undrafted free agent with some statistics and a, a club being like, Hey, 
hey, like, we want you, we want you, we want you. And there's other clubs there, but Anaheim was probably the most aggressive. Um, and they had had a, a track record of giving college free agents a chance. And if you went through the list there, they signed one college UFA every year. And all those guys played games in the NHL. So it was it was Chris Kunitz, Dustin Penner, Curtis Glencross. I think maybe even they went like Andy McDonald. So you go down that road and they give the college UFA a legit chance, right? Like you're not, I'm not a draft pick, but they're going to put you in their system and they label you and probably give you the opportunity that you're a first or second round pick. Right. So um, that organization was one where it's like, I don't want to turn the page on these guys either because there's legitimate opportunity. So all of a sudden I'm staring at July 6th or 7th and I I was installing furniture, making like eight bucks an hour uh, for corporate express. We're in like Marshall, Minnesota, (laughs) Anaheim calls one last time and they say, Hey, um, you want to sign this ticket? This is the last time we're pulling it today and we're going to go find somebody else. I end up calling my mom and saying, you meet me at the airport. I think I got to, I think I got to leave school. So she brought me a bag, ended up leaving. Um, and the reality of it was because, and, and I don't know good or bad, but the team, the team had changed so drastically in six or seven days that I didn't, I wasn't as confident that I could go back and reproduce what I had didn't, what I had done the year before. And I wasn't sure what that would look like to a professional team, right? Like, did he regress? Is he not the guy we thought? And, so I end up jumping on it like the sixth or seventh of July, a week after, um, probably a week late. Interesting. That's that's an interesting interesting insight. I don't think we you know like as a listener, you don't get to really think about that decision making process very often. Like most people, you know, from the outside looking in, you're like, okay, you go to school and then you just go pro, right? But it's kind of I, I love hearing like what went into that. You're eventually just going with your your gut feeling, which is. Uh, I think what it boils down to, you weigh all the options and you go with the option that's right for you. So that's pretty cool yeah. learning that insight. My colleagues at Corporate Express were pretty pumped too, because I think <laughs> we, were, we were set to work the job till about 5 PM. And I, I, I pulled the shoot about one thirty, So everybody got a half day. And I don't think the boss was too mad when he found out one of the employees had <laughs> signed his NHL ticket. So he was, uh, everybody was, everybody was happy. I think about a round of Mountain Dews on the way. Yeah. Home. Happy hour instead of the, the next house. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, let me, I'm going to back up for just a second here. And, and like you mentioned, we, we mentioned in the intro, you mentioned it in, in kind of your decision-making process of leaving school. But you know, when you were 18, you, you went undrafted. And, you know, that's a lot of kids' dreams is to go and become, you know, get drafted. And then that's that road towards the pros that, that a lot of the kids are striving towards. But, you know, the reality is that not everybody gets drafted, right? And that doesn't mean it's the end of the road. So I think you're a great example for, for kids that, you know, that don't want to put out that flame or that dream just because they're 18 years, they don't get drafted. So with that in your, your circumstance, what kind of advice would you extend to those players that are maybe in their draft year or approaching their draft year? it might end up in the same situation. The way I always look at it is there used to be nine rounds in the draft. There's seven now, but I like to use the reference of nine because it makes more sense. And um, I use this, this saying that goes along with it. A a cat has nine lives, right? And I consider like a first round pick, the cat, it's got nine lives. It's going to get nine opportunities to play and they can fail nine times. Will you flip that scale? You go the other round. The ninth rounder has one chance, 
right? Like there's just not as much invested in you and they, they, they don't have as much, uh, you know, to put behind you. So you might get a chance. You might get one chance. So you've got one team that drafted you and you've got one chance. You better be ready for it. And don't make that mistake on the ice or wherever it might be, because that's it. Your chance is gone. Right. So you get to the middle of that. You've got the, the fourth and fifth round pick. So you might have two, three chances, whatever it is. Uh, you roll the dice. Uh, I, I preferred, and I know for me specifically, it was better to be undrafted in hindsight. Would I have wanted to be drafted and would I walked around as a big man on campus? Yeah, no question, right? And I would have loved that. But for me to have a chance to pick one of the 30 teams and, and the, the, the place that I was going to go, and let's be honest, when it comes right down to playing, management and teams and coaches, they want you way more than you actually want them. it's hard for people to fathom that sometimes, but if you can play, they will find you. And if you're good, you're going to get a chance to play. So you might as well have all the cards in your hand and get to choose where you want to go, the right situation, what their depth chart is, what they've got up the pipeline. And I think as an undrafted guy, sometimes you get more opportunity in that sense. You, you, You get to pick your path. Now it doesn't always work out. And at the end of the day, you still have to be a player no matter what, like you have to, you have to produce, show up in big spots and do all that little, that little stuff. But um, for me, uh, I didn't get discouraged at all. It ended up working out way better for me too. Right. So um, I was happy about that. And I tell all the kids nowadays, if you're drafted, um, you know, and this is different. It's kind of a blanket statement. I know this isn't the case, but if you're drafted in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, uh, you know, that's good. Good for you but I'd almost not, I'd almost rather not be picked if I thought I have a chance to play. Cause there's going to be 30 teams knocking on my door three years later saying you want to play here. Right. And you can choose. I've been in organizations where, I, where I've seen it with my eyes. You go, you go down to their minor league affiliate in the American hockey league and you check out the player development guys and the player development guys will, for example, spend hours with the first round pick, you know, mm. hours with the second round pick. And then you've got your seventh round pick and he just says, Hey, good morning. <laughs> right and that's kind of right. how it works and it shouldn't be that way but um but it is and they just spend more time with those guys so it, i know if you don't get drafted you're probably missing out on the nhl player development experience um, but you know again for me it was it was probably for the best you brought up big moments like per like preparing and you still got to show up and play what was like your uh not necessarily a huge moment because obviously that that's probably when you hoisted the cup. But what what was like your first NHL moment where it was like aha, like I'm in the NHL. This is this is nuts. Yeah, well the NHL one. I'll say my first aha moment was not in junior. It was probably in college. Yeah, my my first series in college, and that was the pinnacle. I wanted to play in the WCHA, and I thought it was such a big deal. And there was at times. Uh, and you don't recognize it till later, I don't think. There was at times doubt, right, of whether whether I belonged and you're playing with seniors and how do you fit in. And I went out and scored uh, against North Dakota early, I think the first weekend, and it was like it was a it was a good power goal. And um, it was like a moment for me where it was like, dude, you actually belong. Like you can do this. And it was like boom from there ready to go, ready to take it over, just full confidence and belief that, that I belonged. And um, I think, honestly, from that goal, that moment, uh, I didn't look back. 
uh, I learned a thing or two about self-doubt and, and how to push it aside and keep going. And the NHL aha moment was probably my first NHL game. I was playing in the playoffs, the West final, and uh, I'm, I'm sitting on the bench, nervous, my heart rate beating through my neck. Everybody can see my heart. And right to my right is Team Mussolini. He's just checking his pads all nonchalantly. Uh, but somebody had tipped me off that day that that was my first ever NHL game, but it was also the furthest that Team Mussolini, he'd already been at, or had a Hall of Fame career by that time. That was the furthest he'd ever been in the playoffs. And Jeez. I remember sitting next to him thinking, do not mess this up for Team Will. Do not <laughs> screw this up. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I went out first shift minus one. Uh, that sucked, <laughs> but. Yeah. <laughs> Good start, rebounded, huh? <laughs> rebounded. And uh, yeah, so no, it was, yeah. uh, it was probably the aha moment, like in the locker room with those guys. Did you have um, your guy at least? Uh, I, I had my guy uh, and I left my guy to help a guy that lost his guy. And then uh. my guy, no, it was it, actually, it was Chris Chelios, it was Todd Bertuzzi and Chris Chelios. Mm -hmm. Todd Bertuzzi beat a guy on the wall, and and I, I left my guy to go to go force Bertuzzi, and he just feathered one backdoor to Chelios streaking back there, and boom, it was um, oh. minus one. Sweet. I remember going back to the bench after that thinking, the NHL is legit. This league, <laughs> right? These guys <laughs> yeah. know how to play. <laughs> wow. Oh, that's awesome. Well, yeah, before this, you know, I was, I was reading through some of your career stuff and, and the one thing that kind of struck out for me was of, of interest was that I think that a lot of the listeners here could really like take away, you know, we, we talk about the, the listeners taking away from your experience uh, throughout your career. And, and one point was, you know, that, that cup team that what you're just touching on was, it was Solani and, and that cup run. Did you have any significant takeaways that helped kind of catapult your career or any lessons learned during that, that cup run that you took with you that helped you stay in the league for, for so long afterwards? Yeah, I think, I think that there's a professionalism there that, that was easy to pick up. You know, it meant so much to so many of the guys there, Niedemeyer, Pronger, yeah, Team Mussolini, Andy McDonald, guys that had established careers. And, again, it was the furthest they had been in the playoffs, and um, they're all searching for cups. Uh, Niedemeyer had had cups, but I, I don't think his brother Rob had had one, so he wanted to win a cup with his brother Rob. And just the professionalism, what it, what it took to prepare for a game, and the mental side of it. And uh, I think that, honestly, is probably – the biggest lesson I took from that run is, okay, this is what it's like to be a pro. You just, you just don't show up and have a Red Bull and go out there and be good. Right. Like there's a lot that goes into it and guys take it serious and uh, to be, to be good, you have to prepare well. And um, yeah, and they certainly did, but that was a, a very special group too. Uh, I think, I think I, and that, that probably the second best lesson from there is the importance of a role and the role that each player on a team makes and each, each player has value in their role. That team was really good in that regard. One of the best checking lines I think that ever played and Sammy Paulson, Travis Mullen and Rob Niedemeyer, they were fantastic shut down D uh, physical fourth line and then the top two could score. So just um, role and preparation. So your first NHL game was in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's insane. So I mean, not only are you getting thrown in the NHL, you're getting thrown into, I mean, the craziest part of it, right? And so, was there any of the guys take you under their under their wing and kind of help you at least somewhat know what you're doing, or were you kind of just left to the wolves? 
Kind of. And it, uh, I would say probably more left to the wolves, not, but, but not, not that sounds worse than it really was. Right. It, you, you get to that spot and you're a team. Everybody kind of knows that, but everybody kind of takes care of their own business too. And, and people can kind of get weird. And I've found that guys will get weird in their own rituals, routines, the closer you get to accomplishing that goal, right? Like the more serious it gets, the more dialed you get. And I think guys are just really mentally dialed, ready to play. And it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, here's a new guy, buzz off new guy. It was, um, this is how we prepare. This is what we do. Come on in. Uh, but it wasn't like, somebody, hey, this is how you do it. This is how it works. Yeah, yeah. Play. Let's I, do it together. No, it was not like that. It was, plus, it was the old yeah. school NHL, you know. Right. And I bet, I bet it, I bet there's a difference coming in like, Hey, we're, we're trying to win the Stanley cup, like come and come and do it with us versus like, Hey, it's the, it's the third game of the year. Congrats on your first day. Like let's have fun type of thing. So. Right. Uh, like there was no, there's no solo lap. You see every guy that gets his first NHL game with a solo lap right now yeah. and uh, all eyes on him. That that's not what it was like whatsoever. It was all business. So it was, yeah. there's no like, monkeying around you made it rookie dinner we're gonna we're gonna rack up your credit card but like nothing like that it was it was all business yeah i mean it worked out so that's good <laughs> what uh so coaching we we love to to share love to the coaches because there are a ton of good ones out there um any any coach that you had you know from you know the the guy that that helped you out in the backyard was obviously impactful all the way through uh, to your last time playing, was there any a couple coaches that stuck out to you, and, and why? Yeah. So my high school coach, I, I had an opportunity to leave high school after my junior year, but I'd played for Bill Butters. He was the coach at White Bear Lake, NHL guy. I was real green again in regards to knowing anything about hockey, but I thought, hey, this guy played in the NHL. He could teach me a thing or two. And I think he taught me how, in a really good way, um, how to grind and how to work and how to sacrifice to be good at hockey and all that little stuff. And for a young impressionable guy with all the, the situations that young men can find themselves in to get in trouble and to have all the mistakes and everything catch up with you in a real big hurry. Uh, he did a fantastic job with, uh, I think everybody, but, but um, I certainly recall that and um, just the intensity of what it took to play too. And, uh, I love my time in junior and college under Jots and, and Osiki, uh, both good guys, but probably my, the, the best NHL coach I had was, was Pete DeBoer. And I learned so much from him just about structure and the game and uh, certain ways to play. There was no guy that, that in terms of systems had ever had any of us or any team I'd played on more prepared to win you could go in and make a tweak, like a seven-game series, you'd make a tweak after game one, and all of a sudden you'd find yourself bottling the other team up, and you're like, man, all we did was seal a wall on the forecheck. That was simple. But he would pick up these little things, and uh, next thing you know, it would lead to success. So open my, my mind up and my eyes to, okay, man, you can just do these minor little things, and you can make all the world a difference when it comes to hockey and, and how you play the game. That's awesome. I mean, it's such it's such an important part of the game. I mean, I'm a coach. Danny's a coach. Vinny's a, a newfound coach. It's it's uh, you know something I'm super passionate about, and I love hearing. I love letting the listeners get a, kind of an insight and in what impact the coaches can have on the players and stuff. And you know, from the X's and O's level to the, the just impact off the ice as well. So, you know, 
right on to, to, to shout those guys out. I love it. And I appreciate that the coaches listening as well. Let me, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about your playing days, Ryan. And at the beginning of the episode, we touched on your involvement with the wild now, but how are, how are you still like these days now that you've hung up the skates, you're not a player anymore. Uh, you're in re- you know retirement from the NHL. How are you staying involved in the game now? Yeah. So it, it's, it's funny. It's a, it's a weird spot. And again, this is the way I, I approached it. I ended up graduating from Mankato. I'd left after two years. I, we went to school. I did pretty well while I was there. I think I got about three years done in the two years. We had to go to summer school and I transferred some credits in from junior. But um, when I was done playing, it's a weird spot, right? Cause it's, you're, I was 35 years old and what are you going to do the next phase of your life? And, in all honesty, it was kind of a scary moment of my life because you, you talk to as many people, or at least I tried to talk to as many people as I could. And, you know, what, what do you like doing? Because I really didn't know, you know, what do you like doing? What's your job actually like? You're selling insurance or cars or um, whatever it is, right? Like, what's your job actually like? What do you do? Well, I talk on the phone or I send a bunch of emails or I make spreadsheets or this is what I do, right? And people would be like, well, what, what's your skill set? What are you good at, Ryan? And I'd be like, honestly, dumping the puck. I don't know. You know, <laughs> for checking. What do you want to do? I, I want to be, be five years younger and I want to play again. You yeah. know, and it, it became pretty evident to me that what I know is hockey and what I like is hockey and what I do is hockey. So as much as I, I thought about joining or jumping into the business world, it was a very scary thought. And eventually I got a call that said, would you, would you mind doing or trying some broadcast stuff? We, we've got some spot. We think you'd be great for it. Uh, and I thought about it. And originally I just said, no, there, I was like, I've, uh, I've never laid my head down on the pillow at night and thought, man, I really want to broadcast this game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but at the same time, I understand the value of opportunity. And when you say no, it means no, right? Like it's not coming back. So uh, I eventually said, you know what? I'll try it. Will you let me try it? And I ended up starting off on pre and post game shows and worked my way into it. And now I end up doing the, the in game analyst role. So it's been a lot of fun. I get to be around the game at the time I'd, I'd finished playing for the wild. So a lot of my teammates were still members of the wild. Uh, it made it both comfortable and weird being around the yeah. locker room, but at least it was a setting. Like I know the rank, uh, I know the people and the transition was, uh, was, was pretty smooth and, and good for me in terms of the next chapter of life. But yeah, a lot of fun right now to be able to just talk about hockey and, uh, I enjoy the people in the game and the people around the game. So it's the best spot for me to be, no question about it. For sure. Are you, uh, are you still coaching at all? Are you helping out anywhere? I do coach. Uh, I'm happy to announce that I think I've got my level three now at USA nice. Hockey. <laughs> you so no, that's a grind. Cam- Cameras like a level ten. That stuff <laughs> and figure it all out. But yeah, I've got I've got the three daughters, and I jump on the ice with them yep. now. I just got to make sure I got my bases covered to do all that stuff in the community. Yeah, I love that. That's where that's where I'm at too. I do uh, I do a lot of individual skill stuff, but I'm on the ice with the level one mites right now and. There's nothing like a backache, like holding up those kids for an hour. So it uh, <laughs> so gets true. intense. Um, awesome. That, that kind of leads us into our next part. Uh, the, the, the whole premise of this, this podcast that we're, that we're doing here is just really just leaving the game better than we found it. And 
um, a part of that is, is giving advice to, to youth hockey players. And so I'm wondering like, if you, you know, are these youth hockey players, these junior hockey players, college athletes that are, are listening right now, what's, what's your advice to them that, you know, these kids, they want to aspire to be, to, to do what you did um, and to do what you're doing. And so what, what kind of advice do you have for them? I would, I would say set your goals bigger. I, I was floored and I didn't realize again, the mental side of the game becomes so big and so important. I didn't realize the value of setting large goals, right? Um, um, aim small, miss small, right? Like just by nature, you set big goals, you'll get, you'll get big results, uh, whether you reach them or not. But I remember Marty Brodeur, uh, when I played with him, he, he wasn't affected by contracts, by money, by good games, by bad games, nothing. He solely wanted to be the best goalie that ever played. And that was his goal, and he set it, and he reached it. But yeah, yeah. what I found on reflection was I never set a goal like that for myself ever. I never thought I want to be the best at this or the best player. or I, I never set that goal. And because of that, that's probably one of my only regrets is I never accomplished that. So I tell all kids now, set massive goals right? Like shoot for the moon, right? Because if you don't set that goal, it will not come to fruition. So set the biggest possible goals you can. And are you going to reach all of them? No, absolutely not. Um, At least not on the first shot. Life's not going to be easy. But you set big goals and, and you narrowly miss achieving one of those big goals. That floor is still higher then a lot of the goals other people are going to set, right? So you can still walk away having not met your goal, but still being better for it than achieving a lesser goal that you set, right? So I tell the kids, set the biggest goals and floor yourself with what you're trying to set. I think that's a huge difference between the U.S. and Canada, right? Like Canadians, like, I want to play in the NHL, I want to play in the NHL, where Americans, it's like, like you said earlier, like, I just want to, I want to play college hockey. I want to play in WCHA. I want to do that stuff. And, um, and it was even different for me growing up in Arizona. I got drafted into the USHL and the coach called me and I was like, I don't know what league this is or what you're talking about. So I got to get back to first hour, but, uh, it's, uh, it's setting those huge goals that I think you're right. And I think the U S needs to make that mindset switch to where like the NHL should be the goal, like shoot for that. Right. I found, and I find like when you have that goal, like there's, there's something else internally that's different. You know, instead of walking into an NHL locker room, like I felt like somewhat intimidated it because you've set that big goal. You walk in there like, okay, I've got something to prove now. Like I gotta, I gotta take that guy's ice. Right. And, and I belong and that stuff matters in the long run. Like when you're all in versus dipping the toe, it makes all the difference in the world. And um, I'm very thankful that I was able to carve out the career I had and, and do it that way. But I think it would have been much different. Had, had I done things differently in terms of that goal setting. So absolutely, I think that the kids need to set that goal. Like, I want to play in the NHL, but not only not only that, man, like, I want to be an all-star in the NHL, right? Like, I belong. I can be that good. Love that. Awesome. That's awesome advice for the the players listening. Let's uh, let's switch gears to the, the coaches. If you look back on your coaching career or even, like, looking ahead to your daughters growing up playing, um, what kind of advice would you extend to youth hockey coaches that are listening, uh, maybe in the terms of player development, but, but overall, what kind of advice would you extend to any youth coaches out there? 
Yeah, that's a good question. I would say if, if I was talking to parents, it'd be probably a different answer. But but coaches, I would say uh, I, I'd encourage them. I believe in in terms of skill right now, today's game, I think a lot of kids like to, to work on their hands or, or dangling with the puck. So much of the game is played without the puck. Uh, if you can find a way to teach kids how to think and how to play without the puck, that would be that would be huge. Secondarily, the only thing, the only skill you're using all the time, no matter what, is skating. So you should probably spend the majority of your time working on skating. Now it stinks when you when you go out there and there's no pucks on the ice and you're kind of grinding in that regard. But uh, I, I think the most time should be spent on skating. It's a it's a very fluid, very fast game now. And if you can't skate, you can't play. Like, you got to be able to get to the spots in order to be in the spot, right? So um, spend a lot of time on the skating. Make sure the kids have that foundation early of the, you know, the right stance, riding their edges comfortable, um, and just continue to do that. For me, as I, as I got further along playing, I had to work more and more on my skating, and I – uh, I wish that I would have skated and worked on my skating so much more when I was younger because, uh, again, I think it's such a big differentiator and more so than your toe drag or your snapper or how you shoot the puck or whatever. Um, I think skating is valuable. And the next thing I would say is don't be afraid to encourage the kids to be different. Um, I, I played with a guy, Thomas Vanek, who just he just shot the kid, he just shot the puck different. He used a different curve. He shot it different. It looked different, and he filled the net. It was not the hardest shot, wasn't the best shot, but it looked different than everybody else, right? Like every, it's not a one size fits all when it comes to kids and their skill development and what they have to do and how they have to do it. Encourage them to be different and look different and shoot different and skate different, because um, I think at times that can be a, a huge advantage. You think about it from the goalie's perspective in terms of shooting the puck. Um, they see the same shot, right? Like the, 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 the toe drag and snap, right? Like they see it, they read it. Now all of a sudden you have one coming a different way, like off the heel or something. And they, they just don't, and they just don't see it the same. They don't read it. Right. And you're like, how, you see some guys that shoot the puck where you're like, how'd that go in? Yeah. Goalies just can't track it. Right. So, um, it's not a one size fits all. It's probably what I'd say to encourage the kids to skate, let them be different. And, um, you know, obviously the, the fun component. Yeah. I like the idea that, it's not, it's not a one size fits all. Um, even like skating, like obviously there's, there's more efficient ways and you can obviously help kids get better at that. But, um, you're right that, you know, there, there's different, there's different skating, there's different shooting, there's different, there's different everything. And it's just managing those different, those different hockey players. And obviously if yeah you can score like Vanek, it, uh, it should be no issue. Right. Yeah. And it's coached to their strength, right? Like don't, don't coach them to be how you want them. Like try to coach to their strength. Like, Hey, maybe find this ice in this soft spot. Cause you have a good shot and it's different. The goalie will have a hard time tracking it. Get real good at coming through this area at this time. Right. And just being yeah. smart in that regard and coaching towards uh, the kids' strengths. Love that. Awesome advice. Um, before we kind of start to wrap this up, last question, was there, was there one player that you played with that, that stood out because he did this one certain way or, or did this another thing or the Vanek thing kind of spurred that idea. But is there, is there one player in your NHL career that was like, this guy could play some hockey? Probably the most, uh, most impressive at each skill. Scott Niedemeyer in terms of skating was amazing. 
and yeah. he it, it was effortless because he was smooth and his i think his mom was a power skating coach but a figure skater and he was just so efficient in his and like his ankle flexion knee bend his seat was down he'd ride the middle of his steel and uh, i don't know what his hollow was at his skates but you didn't hear him and yeah He'd, he'd play 27 minutes a night. We'd go into overtime. It'd be four on four, and he'd play four and a half minutes of it. He'd come off the ice not breathing hard at all. And he, Honestly, he'd have this one little spot right here. He looked like Iron Man because <laughs> that's the only spot on him that was sweaty. So he just played 31 minutes. He's got this little spot of sweat. So he's just unbelievable at skating and just the efficiency. And um, that was fun to watch. Ducks too, Ryan Getzlaff. He had unbelievable vision. And... The, the one thing I loved about Ryan Getzlaff, and he still plays this way, I still enjoy watching it, watch the pride he he takes in every single pass. They will all have, like, the same appropriate spin on it, the right pace, and it will be right on the tape flat where whoever receives it can do something with it. It's not just throwing it to an area. Like, he passes with purpose and takes a ton of pride in it. So, man, the, the way that he could make other players better and just put them in unbelievable spots with his passing, it was fun to watch. Yeah, you just, I mean, you talked about two of the greatest to, to ever do it, but you talked about skating and passing. And so if you're if you're listening to this, kids and, and coaches, like, don't forget to work on passing. Don't forget to work on skating. And I always say to my kids, like, don't get bored. Let's get better because right now there are no pucks and we are doing some edge work. And we are trying to find the middle of the skate and be quiet on the ice. And so it's uh it's boring but it it's what it's what makes you better and so i appreciate you sharing that before we get our big let's go uh is there is there anywhere where people can reach out like how or just follow you and, and check out what you're doing and anything uh we'll, we'll pump some stuff in the intro about you as well but is there any any cool spots they can check you out yeah obviously valley sport um i know a lot of people are cord cutters now but if you happen to have comcast or direct tv you can you can Check the wild games. Uh, if you're out of town, maybe you can get it on ESPN plus, uh, I think, but yeah, the wild games, uh, you know, I, I do the analyst work there, uh, Twitter account, Ryan, I think underscore Carter 22 Instagram, the same. Um, but yeah, I know I appreciate you asking, man. We've, uh, we've got the gyms, uh, which we'll partner with and yep. uh, some sport performance gyms. It's, it's more strength and speed and, help prevent some of those overuse injuries and make sure that you're athletically um, pre prepared for the seasons you're taking. So um, we do some work in, in that field too. So um, yeah, check it out. Yeah. That was a big, uh, if you got an extra second here that they're called ETS, if you want to kind of chat about that a little bit, cause I know we haven't had anything like that, at least that, that, that I know of here in Mankato. Um, and now you have an ETS here um, and it's, it's huge, it's huge for athletes. And so I don't know if you have a quick sec to chat about that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good product. I'll tell the story quickly. Um, I was training probably my seventh year pro. I was kind of fatigued with my training and I had done it. I felt I was doing it right. But uh, for whatever reason, at, after that seventh season, I was like, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to go to the gym. So I, I felt I needed a change. I walk into ETS. His name is Ryan Engelbert, Engelbert Training Systems. Uh, that's what ETS stands for. And he ran me through just a body screen. And I didn't lift a weight. I didn't do an exercise. It was just more checking my mobility, my balance, my strength. And I was leaking, sweating. And I thought I was like, I, like just trying to figure it out. Right. And yeah. uh, what I found out was that, man, I was deficient. I've been training kind of wrong for a while. And I, because I was training wrong, 
um, there was all these imbalances and, and that was probably leading to injury. And uh, so I worked hard at it that summer to, to get in a good spot. And I was about 32 years old and went into the training camp and just crushed all the testing, all the physical testing, the on ice testing, everything. And uh, I think I took it to some of the 23 year old kids. And um, I, at that point I started to really believe in the, in the product and, and the systems there. So um, it's a personal endorsement because it made me a better player. And then I got the opportunity to jump on the business side of that and was all over it because it helped me. And um, it's it, super exciting to be able to bring it to Mankato too. And uh, I think we've had some success there too. Cause uh, like I said, the, the product works. For sure. And there's a, there's a ton of those gyms floating around, right? Getting there, yeah, it's, it's growing. It's growing all the time. I think we're at 17. Uh, it, it seems there's a, a gym opening every couple of months. So um, we're, we're growing. And, and again, that, that probably illustrates some of the demand for it. Uh, I don't think we'd be in a spot where we can grow. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of growing faster than we can get good people like Jameson down in Mankato to run the gyms. And um, yeah. that's probably the scary part. So we might have to pump the brakes until we get kind of guys that, that are good at it, that work at it, that understand it and are willing to implement those systems. So, um, yeah. yeah, no, it, it's been fantastic. Yeah. Plus another Maverick, Adam Thielen is uh, on that project as well with you. Right? Yeah. Horns <laughs> up. Yep. Yeah. No, Adam's Absolutely. working in there too. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, it is tradition on here uh, just to give us a nice little let's go, um, if, if you wouldn't mind for us. All right. Well, hey, guys, I tell you what, I uh, appreciate you having me. It was fun. I think we probably went maybe an hour, somewhere close to that. My apologies if it went a, a little long, but right. uh, fun nonetheless. So uh, let's go. Let's go. All right. Thank you very much. Um, it, was, it was a blast having you. And uh, any, any closing words, Cameron? No, I'm, uh, I'm excited to pump this one out there. Ryan Carter, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I think tons of good advice. Uh, great opportunity for the listeners, parents, players, coaches to, to learn from your experience from youth hockey all the way up to uh, staying in the game after retiring. So appreciate you sharing your story and, and, and lending some advice. And thanks for taking the time to, to come on and join us. Anytime, fellas. Anytime. Horns up. Go Mavs. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ryan Carter, Maverick alumni, NHL vet, uh, all-around good guy. Thanks for coming to the podcast. It, it was a blast to have you. Um, you crushed it, knocked it out of the park, which I, I wouldn't expect any less out of a Maverick. But, uh, you know, um, before or as tradition always stands, we got our three stars of the night. Um, and I'm going to kick that over to my co-host, Cameron, uh, to kind of get us started on that. What did you think of the, of the episode, Coach? I loved it, man. I mean, anytime you can bring in an NHL veteran, you're going to pick up some knowledge. Like he just has like the guys that play at the highest level, look at the game a little bit differently than guys that haven't been there. And I, as a hockey geek, just like eat it up. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, even the stuff he's talking about, like, we're just, you know, shooting the bowl a little off the, uh, off the cuff stuff about right-hand left-hand dominance. And he starts yeah. talking about his, you know, he starts mentioning how like he wants his, his more dominant eye on the top looking over. So he's got scanning more. I was like, I've never even considered that. And it's yeah. just, I don't know. It's just cool. I, you know, and he's a color commentary. Like he, he talks about hockey for a living. Like how cool is that to have a guy that talks about hockey for a living coming on our podcast to talk about hockey. Yeah. <laughs> right. So um, it was great. It was a great episode. I appreciate Ryan coming on, but let's jump into the three stars of the night. So if you're ready for this, Danny, I will start it off with a third star of the night. What do you think? Take it away. All right. Third star of the night 
he mentioned something is kind of, he, he just touched on it, but it, it, it resonated with me. He talked about the value of opportunity and he, he, in context of what he was talking about is when he he's making the transition from retiring to what he was going to do after retirement or after playing his playing days were over. And he had been approached by the wild to, to come on and be a broadcaster. And he talked about how he's like, man, nah, I'm not really into that. That's not what I want to do or whatever saw myself doing. We talked about the value of opportunities. Like, you know, if he would have said no to that, you never know when that door, when, or if will ever open again. So he's like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll try it. And I think that that life lesson kind of is a valuable one in that, uh, you know, you never know saying yes to opportunities. You never know what's going to come from those opportunities. And in the context of hockey, you know, when a coach is calling you or, or, or asking you to play a different position or asking you to fill in for a tournament or, you know, or, or jump in with a practice with a different, you know, an older team or help out coaching with a younger team. Like those are the opportunities that open doors that sometimes you don't even know that door is there. And, you know, I, I think that, I think for me, I, you know, I've had luck in my life, you know, good things have happened where I've said yes to opportunities. And I, and I, even if I don't know if it's the right thing right then, sometimes it leads to the right thing. And I, you know, it's kind of vague, but I think that there's a lot of, a lot of importance in that, that idea of the value of opportunity. So that's my, my third star. Love that. Love that. Roll with the second. What do you got for number two star of the night, coach? Second star of the night, throwing it way back to when he was talking about he did not make the squirt A team, right? So he didn't make – guys Guys played almost 500 games in the NHL. As a squirt, he did not make the top team in his local association. I think that in and of itself is something that players and parents out there should consider or think about that, that you don't make that team. It's not the end of the road. It's not the end of the world. Right. can be tough to tough, tough pill to swallow, but um, you know, it's a learning experience, but the the mental takeaway that he mentioned from that, the lesson of like being the best player on the team you're on. And if you're the best player or you're you're striving to be the best player, the team you're on, that's going to set you up to make that jump to whatever that next level might be after that. And I think that's a huge important takeaway of this is like, just because you get cut from a team or you don't make that team you had your sights set on, don't throw in the towel. It's not the end of the road. Be the best player you can on that team. And again, you'll have more opportunity in the future if you can do that. So I think that's yeah. Yeah. And I love that because like, I've always thought of it like, Hey, you don't want to make the A team and be the worst player on that team. You'd rather be the best player on the other team. But anytime I asked like why it was always like, well, because you can be the leader on that team or because you can, um, you know, you're going to be on the first line power play, all these different things. And like, yeah, absolutely. I, that makes sense. But to me, I love way more that if you're the best player on this team, that means there's going to be a team for you next year. And if you're the best player on that team, that means there's going to be a team for you next year. Um, and so it's really cool um, to be able to uh, hear from someone who has literally has risen the Stanley Rose. Is it risen or Rose the Stanley cup? I don't know what it is. But, uh, raised <laughs> i don't know i lifted it over his head he lifted yeah, the cup, he lifted, literally lifted the cup <laughs> so um he's done it all and so that's a, a phenomenal second star first star of the night uh, before i get to that arnold mentioned the the draft pick story right of you know if you're if you're a first round pick you're going to get nine lives and you're going to get this opportunity this opportunity and you know you, you can see these development coaches working with the first round pick because there's so much involved and invested in that player uh, and so I, I like that idea and, and which also plays off the not being picked for the squared A team, like not getting drafted in the NHL. They're still finding a way and it, it can actually work out better for you. And so I love that. 
but number one star of the night was just like set your goal. When you talked about this, right? Set your goals, huge shoot for the stars, set them as big as possible, not just to play in the NHL, but play in the NHL and be an NHL all-star. And I loved the story about Martin Brodeur, who is arguably in my, in my opinion, he's the best goalie that's ever played the game. I'm sure there's some crazy stats that I don't know, but um, he talked about Brodeur that he wanted to be the best goalie in the national hockey league. And that's, that was his goal and he did it. And he lifted the Stanley cup a bunch of times as well. Um, And so just the idea that it's okay to set these huge, massive goals and you should enough of this. Like, "Ah, I just, you know, as a, as a U.S. born player, I want to play triple A hockey. I want to play, you know, varsity hockey. I want to play college hockey. No, I want to, I want to make it to my 10th all-star game in the NHL for, for the 10th year in a row. Right. And so it's these massive goals that I think gets kids addicted to hockey too, right? Like the, the idea that that's out there for them. And it's, it's something that's really cool. And thank you for sharing that with me, uh, Ryan. And uh, it's, uh, it's something that, that I'll, I'll keep in my brain from here on out too. So I I got some goal setting I need to do myself, but. uh, um, Those goals, Danny, set them high. Set them high, baby. Um, (laughs) I had my first men's league game last night. Um, I mean. What was your goal before that men's league game, Danny? My goal was just to get some exercise, but now I want to win the Mankato B League Championship. That is my only goal. And hopefully by this time I've done it. Uh, the season won't be over yet, but, you know, two goals, two assists, six, three win, game game winner. I guess that's a, an okay start to the year. But anyways, better than Carter's first start, right? He got a minus first shift out. That's a rough start to the NHL. Yep. Yep. Bounce <laughs> back though. Bounce back. Yeah, but he did. He's, he look at you him. playing Mankato B League, huh? Yeah, the A-League, they start too late. Plus, I just, I don't know. They just go, like, it's super hard, and uh, it's a bunch of college guys, and I just, not for me. So. You're a dad now. You're not a college kid. You're a dad. Two kids. It's just, it is what it is. But, no, wherever, yeah. that's, that's that's a little piece of advice, too. No matter where you're playing these days, or, no matter, you know, anybody listening, no matter where you play, all roads lead to beer league. Yeah, so, eventually. No matter where you are. <laughs> that does not matter. Um, I love that. Well, let's end on that. I again, huge shout out to Hockey Wolf. Go and check them out. Uh, everything's linked below, and cross check that like button because that's why we're able to continue this on um, from the year before uh, into season two now. So, shout out season two. Huge shout out to producer Vinny um, who's grinding away. We still got to do our interview with Vinny. That's coming up um, now that he's big college coach now, which is honestly he awesome. one college coach. Yeah, so that's Man. that's phenomenal. Our our whole crew is just moving up the ladder. Cammer, I know you can't tell people listening, but he we're rambling on. But he he's <laughs> he's recording from Hawaii right now. The guy, the guy's all committed um, to making hockey players better. So thank you very much. I've said my piece. Cammer, close it out for us. No, I think that's great, man. It's good to be back. Good to see you guys again. Good to have a, our first episode under our belt. I'm hoping that um, not even hoping. I know we've got some other good episodes coming ahead that I'm hoping yeah. that people will enjoy, and I, and I know they will. But I'm excited to be back. It was good to have a little break and get the season rolling again. But now our feet are under us, and we're season two's coming at you. So the band's back together. That's all I got. Yeah. All right, let's do the work. We'll uh, we'll talk to everybody soon. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.